0: So we continue on our journey in the book of James, walk through chapter 1, walk through chapter 2, and now we uh, pitch our tent around James chapter 3. For those of you who have maybe stepped in for the first time, uh, James is this half-brother of Jesus, took the leadership of this Jerusalem church, and became A model disciple had this reputation for being a model disciple, a prayer, an intercessor, uh, somebody who loves the simplicity and the humility of the spirituality that we're part of called following Jesus. Uh, Had this reputation and uh, had the nickname called camel knees. His, His knees were so calloused and hard and leathery because he spent hours and hours in prayer. It's probably the first book written in the New Testament. It's written quite early. It was intended for... Uh, members of his own congregation that were scattered all throughout the Roman Empire because of Stephen's martyrdom when he was killed. And so he has a number of his believers that flee, that run. And they flee, and and as they flee, of course they can't take possessions with them, they can't sell their businesses, and so immediately they're under pressure of poverty, they're under pressure of persecution. The Gentile mission hasn't started yet, or it's in its early stages. And so uh, this... This faith is very much a, a Jewish faith, and so the J- Jews are persecuting them. And so the pressure from external uh, forces of poverty of, of persecution starts to take its toll on the community of believers. They're bickering one another. They are they are missing the values of the kingdom. They're not walking their faith out. And James gets to hear of this, and so he writes this letter. And uh, it's a very practical letter. It's a pragmatic letter. It's a hard hitting letter. It's a It's a letter that for me is so practical and so useful for us at the beginning of a new year. It's full of wisdom in there. that's what we've called it, the way of wisdom, the message of James. In James chapter 1, he kind of turns the spotlight inward on us. And the Holy Spirit asks us whether uh, we are walking in the life of God, whether our spirituality is the life of God in us. And so he basically asks us whether we we love God. And if we say we love God, do we love God like God wants us to love? Love that is practical, love that is demonstrative, love that is uh, about looking after the orphan of of, of holiness, of the tongue. In chapter 2, the theme is faith. So chapter 1, the theme is love. Chapter 2, the theme is faith. Do you believe what you say you believe? James says, Because James says, the only way I can tell is through your actions, whether you believe what you say you believe. If If your belief doesn't produce deeds, then there's a possibility that you don't believe what you say you believe, your faith isn't genuine, and you're in danger of thinking you're saved, when in fact you're not. So James takes you and dangles you over the edge of this precipice, kicking and screaming. But that's what he does. Work out your faith with salvation, trembling, fear, work it out. But this morning we move on to James chapter 3. If chapter 1 was about the condition of our love and chapter 2 is about the condition of our faith, then chapter 3 is the condition of our tongue. And so that's where we are. So let's have a look at James chapter 3, shall we? Let's read the first few verses. James chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, my brothers. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Great. That is just what I wanted to hear. All right? Thank you, James, for that start. Chapter 2. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses uh, to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. and is itself set on fire by hell. We'll pause there for a minute. So, this passage flows out naturally of chapter 1 and chapter 2 because faith has to work. Remember, that's the whole thing. Faith has to work. It has to produce deeds in order to show itself genuine. If it's genuine faith, it will produce deeds. It will produce works. And so there's no greater work, there's no greater test, there's no greater deed of genuine faith, than the ability to control your tongue. It's flowing out of James chapter 2. And I've spent loads of time studying this passage this week, and I have squirmed in my seat for just about every single moment of it. I thought chapter 2 was tough. But no, this is one of the most demanding, um, challenging passages that I have ever looked at. And I have squirmed in my seat for most of it. And and let me tell you now, you will deeply feel uncomfortable with what you hear this morning. And there are going to be times when you would inwardly groan and even feel a sense of shame because you're going to be looking back at some of the things that you've said. And when you feel like that, I want you to take comfort in the fact that everyone else in this room will be feeling exactly the same way. So take comfort in that. Because I love what James has to say here, right at the very beginning of verse 2. We all stumble. We all stumble. And I love that. Thank you, James. Because I will hang on to that bit in this chapter more than anything else. Because the rest of the chapter is very, very challenging. But I love James here. We all stumble. This is the man known for being the model disciple. This is the one that it's known. If you want to know what following Jesus is like, then you look at James. This is the man who's got the reputation of him, the camel knees for for praying for hours and hours. This is the man of the reputation who gave up so much in order for his faith. This is the man whose reputation was that he's one of the pillars of this early church. This is the top dude. This is the strongest leader you've got. And James says, don't worry, because I do the same. There's a bit of hope there. We all sin in this area. And if for a moment you sat quietly, smugly in your seat, thinking, I've got control over my tongue, then actually that's good news for us. The reason why it's good news for us is that means that Jesus has returned to earth already and decided to become a member of the church at Junction 10. How fantastic is that? See, at the beginning of chapter 3, James explains why the tongue and its control is so vital for you and me. And so let's have a look at let's have a look at the power of the tongue. James goes into in this passage the power of the tongue. See like the rest of the book he mixes up negative examples and positive examples. In verse 2 to 4 he wants you and me to know that the tongue has great power for good. This is a positive thing because the tongue is able to lead you into your destiny. It's able to lead you into your destiny. In both of the examples of the horse's bit and the ship's rudder, it's all about steering. It's all about steering. And so he's trying to get his believers to realize that the tongue, even though it's small, has the ability to direct and to orchestrate the whole of your life. This is why it's so important. This is why he gives a whole chapter to it. See, in the way he emphasizes certain words, he's trying to show you the enormity of the accomplishment. Look back at those verses again. The whole animal is turned by this bit in its mouth. As you know, horses hate me. All right? You know that, don't you? Horses hate me, and I have a fear of horses because they bite me every time I go near them. All right? It's due to an ex-girlfriend thing and a bit of bitterness between me and the and the horse, because she loved the horse more than me, and so we, it detects that bitterness in there. But I've noticed that, you know, this whole horse. I, I went down to um, uh, Dorset to the, the, the great kind of agricultural fairs, and seeing these massive Shire horses, they are huge, and yet they are turned with something very, very small. He's on again here about a large ship being driven in the strongest of winds. And yet what controls it is a very, very small part. I got to thinking in my office, I wonder what's the biggest ship that there is. It's called the Jahara King. It's on the DVD clip. Just have a look at this.
1: What about this? It's the Yara Viking, the largest moving man-made object on the planet. Stood on its end, it would be 50 feet taller than the Empire State Building. Its holds are big enough to swallow St. Paul's Cathedral four times over. And to ward off bad weather, they fitted a hideous gargoyle on the bow. That was a great plan. Work to treat. But then, what do you expect? I mean, we are going round the Cape of Good Hope, just off the tip of southern Africa, right in the middle of winter. I hope this thing's got a big engine. Oh, good. It has. That's wrong and that should be lit I'm sure of it that's the gearbox boiler another boiler amazingly it only has one propeller which doesn't make 75 revolutions a minute, but it's 30 feet in diameter, so the engine has to be colossal. All the numbers in this ship just boggle the mind, including the temperature down here. But strangely, it only has two lifeboats. Amazingly, that's all it needs, because this half-million-ton giant is run by a crew of just 35, and to the consternation of various coastal seabirds, most of them, including the captain, learn to drive in India. I've been to Bombay, and the standard of driving there is shabby, so... (laughs) But we are not on the roads, we are at sea. Is that safer, then? It's much safer, and we are most qualified individuals, we are professionals. Professionals, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, how fast does the ship go? In fair weather, she could do as much as 16, 16 and a half knots. Does the weather affect it? Oh, very much. Uh, if you have adverse weather, she comes on quite a bit. Now, we hear a lot of stories about how long it tends to stop one of these things. Uh, around 8,000 meters, about five and a half miles. Five and a half miles Yeah, to stop from it. full head to stop. And what about the turning circle? Turning circle, now this, uh, these factors depend on what sort of weather condition is. Normally in fair weather, she might turn within two miles. You could do in two miles.
0: Five miles to stop, two miles to turn. Huge, absolutely huge. Coming up on the screen is a diagram. You Click the next one for us, thank you. At the top is the Jahara Viking. Circled is the size of the rudder. That's how big it is compared to the whole of the ship. That's how powerful the tongue is, James says. Something so massive, something going around the Cape Horn in the middle of winter, something so big is controlled by something so small. That's how powerful the tongue is, James says. It's the master switch. See, it can bring light and illumination to your life and to the life of others. Or it can plunge you and everyone else around you into darkness. That's how powerful the tongue is. Don't underestimate its influence, James says. If you can learn godly ways of speaking, then maybe, just maybe, you can learn godly ways of living. The two are connected. But it's not just what you say, is it? It's it's what you don't say. See, controlling the tongue is is, is not just speaking good things. It's about when the negativity or something erupts inside of you to be able to bite your tongue and actually not say what you're feeling or thinking. The old adage, is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? It's something that I grew up with as a kid and something that actually we need to take note of again when it comes to our speech. Because we all want to mature in our faith, to grow and become like Jesus in the way we live, the way we think, the way we engage with our world. We want to be like Him. But the secret ingredient, James says, to be like Jesus on this spiritual journey is the tongue. It's the secret ingredient. It's this tiny little part. It's something that's so easily overlooked, James says, and yet it's vital for most of us. I love how the message translation put this. It says, A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It is destiny shaping, but is also destructive. Dangerous and demonic, James says. See, I've probably overplayed the positiveness of this in James. Partly because the next section that we're going to look at is so challenging. See, when it comes to the tongue, James is pretty negative about it. And he concentrates not on the potential for good, but actually he concentrates on the potential for evil, for the destructive forces of the tongue. The image he uses is a, is a negative one. He uses a fire. Verse 5 and 6, look at it in your Bible. Verse 5 and 6 of James. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. See, I could use a number of different illustrations. And James could have used a number of different illustrations of, of destruction. See, he could have used a stick of dynamite. A stick of dynamite planted somewhere, blows up a house, house destroyed. He could have used a chainsaw or an axe with a giant redwood tree. You take an axe to a redwood tree, you chop it down, it's destroyed. But the problem is, after the explosion of a stick of dynamite, the dust will settle. When you take an axe to a tree, the tree will fall, but eventually the forest will grow silent again. James is saying... The destructive force of the tongue is that it's just a small spark, but once you let it out, it is uncontrollable what destruction can take place. Use the tongue in an uncontrolled way and the spark grows, it catches fire, it gets a momentum all of its own and you cannot control it, he says. So for example, let's take some examples. Uh, Let's take an example of gossiping. If the uncontrolled tongue is manifest in gossiping, guess what happens? Once you let that out, and you start gossiping, and, and people get to hear that you're a bit of a gossip, then what happens is people start backing off you. They don't trust you. If, you're, if your uncontrolled tongue is manifest in putting others down, then people will shut their hearts to you. Proverbs 18 verse 19 says, An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. You see, if, if your offensive, uncontrolled tongue is about bragging, then people become cynical of you if you're bragging. If you're prone to exaggeration, people don't believe you. If you're, if you're prone to complaining, people get sick of you. If sarcasm and insults come from you, then people won't follow you. You see what I mean? As soon as it's unleashed out there, it begins to grow and develop. See, the fire, seen here as evil and sinful, spreads to others. You know what? It's happening here at Junction 10. When you're at the, you know, you, you hear all sorts of different things. There's actually stuff happening here in Junction 10 right now. There are a few squabbles with people. It happens. It happens in families. We're part of a family. It happens in my family. It happens in everybody's family. But there are squabbles going on. But instead of taking a step back, controlling the tongue and dousing the flames with patience and grace, there are some people that seem to like to think, let's pour more fuel onto the fire. It's dangerous. Dangerous. James is interested in how the fire spreads, not just amongst the believers, but how the fire spreads into every part of the believer's life who's doing it. Let's say, let's take the gossip side of things. Let's say you, you like a gossip. Have you heard about so-and-so? Call themselves a leader. I could do a much better job than that. Have you heard about his wife? All those types of things. Here's what happens. As soon as you start saying things like that, you start gossiping. People won't trust you. They'll move back from you. You detect that people move back from you. And so what happens in your heart is a little bit of hurt. That hurt begins to develop into bitterness. And suddenly, there is a whole range of other things that begin to affect you. All as a result of this. See, be hateful with your tongue and just watch how other aspects of your behavior start manifesting hate. It's what the Bible says. Proverbs 26 verse 28 says, A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Let's go back to James. Chapter 3, verse 6. This is why James says, the whole course of your life, James says, will be affected. Now this is a unique phrase. It's not found in any other part of the Bible. This, this, it sits alone here. It's not found anywhere else. James is saying, this is serious. It's not just talking about all your behavior. It's just t- talking about your time span, the direction of your life. In other words, your tongue has the ability to affect your life in three dimensions. It affects your character, It can affect chronology, which is your time. It will affect the whole of your time span. And it will affect the course of your life. Verse 6 says, Your tongue is also set on fire by hell. Is the word of God comforting you this morning? That's what I want to know. Did you come here feeling depressed? And now you're going to leave even more depressed. Just great. I come to church... I want to be a bit of a pep-up, I want a bit of a hope, I want a bit of aspiration in my life and I come in here and you're just telling me that that's all this is taking place. It's painful, isn't it? Like I say, I sat in my chair in my office this week and I've squirmed my way through this week. It's interesting, isn't it, how you, how you do these things. I'm on my way to church this week. Halfway here, get a phone call. Sue's not very well, I have to go back. Did I respond like a model disciple? No. Was I in total control of my tongue at that particular moment in time? No. See, James is painting a very, very challenging, painful picture. And he's doing it not because he's having a random rant. At his parishioners, because he's cheesed off with them, he's doing it because he cares, and the reason why is because, like a government health warning, you know, like drink driving and smoking, it's it's like this very challenging thing. It's full, it's in your face, it's, it's 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 it makes you squirm sometimes. And James is doing the same thing. He says, "This is how bad it can get, folks. This is how bad it can get if an uncontrolled tongue. This is what can happen." He's given us a warning. And he's not alone, just in case you think that James is just a one-off. And you can ignore James. Yeah? That he's, a, he's a bit eccentric, he's a bit out there, he's a bit kind of right-wing when it comes to stuff like that. If you think that that's just James, actually, no. Because the whole of the Bible, actually, when you look at references to tongue, mouth, and lips, and words, the whole of it, except for a few verses, is negative about the tongue. Which of James as you know, is inspired by Jesus' teaching. Hear the words of Jesus. Matthew 12, verse 36, But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it on the day of judgment. James is saying the tongue has power. Power to take you into your destiny for good. It is also, if uncontrolled, is a destructive demonic tool. That's what he's saying. Let's read on in James, shall we? Let's look at verse 7 onwards. Because we move from the power of the tongue to the prognosis of an uncontrolled tongue. You see, uh, just when you thought that James couldn't get any tougher, James does get a little bit tougher because actually now he wants to show you what will happen. James chapter 3 verse 7. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Okay, James, kick a man while he's down. See, in the first section, we've shown both the light and the dark side of the tongue, the positive potential and the destructive power. And he does that to shock us. He does that to wake us up. But James doesn't just want to shock us, he wants to save us. Yeah? just doesn't want to shock us and then leave us in our shock to fend for ourselves. No, James wants to shock us and then save us he wants us to change he wants us to repent or else the prognosis is bad he says see judgment isn't a word that we like to use amongst ourselves we tend to prefer judgment used on other people we can think of people that would god would judge easily but would judge would god bring judgment inside of us well james seems to think actually yes believer beware the tongue in verse 7, he says, is unable to be tamed by anything a human being can throw at it. The phrase that he uses in Greek, it says, nothing in a man is able to control the tongue. There's nothing human that we can throw at the tongue to control it. The tongue is unstable. Just when you think you've domesticated the tongue, this beast, alright, you've domesticated it, it has this tendency to pop up and return to its feral nature. Yes? Ever experienced that in here? Or am I talking to the perfected saints of Jesus Christ? Just when you think you've perfected it, you've got it. It will spring up. And so, James says we will need help when it comes to our tongue. But before we receive that help, we have to repent. This is the prognosis. This is when it comes to the tongue, we have to repent before we get the help that we need. Why do we need to repent? There, inconsistent worship. This word, as you notice, noticed, this word comes up quite a lot in James. This inconsistency. You see, in James chapter 1, it talks about the inconsistent faith of a believer. The, the double-minded man. Remember that? The inconsistency that's there. In, in chapter 2, he talks about the inconsistency in the way we treat people. Some treat people, if they're rich, better than somebody who's poor. The inconsistency. Well, here, we have another inconsistency. This time, the inconsistency is in the worship. We're dealing with God here. We're on thin ice, James says, because this involves our attitude to God himself. Look at verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who will be made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. See, the God we worship is great and awesome and we've had a fabulous time, haven't we? Just sat in the presence of God, worshipping God, focused on Jesus and remembering just how great Jesus is and what he's all about. But he says that We can do that and yet we can curse the people sat in this room and maybe not sat in this room. We can curse the very people made in the image and the likeness of that great God and Savior that we have worshipped. The way he writes in Greek doesn't translate very well. When he says, brothers, this ought not to be. James, James is thumping the table. Alright? Brothers, this ought not to be. He is spitting feathers. I can't think of another way of kind of putting it. He is not happy. It's provoked this intense reaction in James. And I sat there in my office this week and I just wondered, because I didn't have the same intense reaction. Is praising God and cursing people utterly unthinkable to you? Is it tolerated by us? See, if James is right, it's not tolerated by God. And so if it's not tolerated by God, the Spirit becomes agitated by it. And if the Holy Spirit is agitated by it, guess what? The Holy Spirit gets up and flies. See, sarcasm, cutting remarks are quick to accuse attitudes. We're so quick to judge people's motives for bringing in changes or doing things. I remember as a 17-year-old lad, I was working in my home church, I'd given a year of voluntary, I think I was 18 actually, given a year of voluntary to my church and uh, we were setting up for the Sunday evening service and uh, it was about 5 o'clock and there were a few people dotted around the church and uh, I noticed that uh, the senior leader there, the senior pastor was talking to a guy in the church, a guy called Bill Hopkins uh, and Bill Hopkins, they were having a chat, it was an intense chat and you could see that it was an intense chat on there and so you were walking around getting things prepared and uh, eventually I heard the senior minister say, Look, Bill, I can't have the discussion now. I'm preaching in a little while. We're just going to have to talk about this a little bit later. And as he turned around to go, Bill Hopkins came running up to him, and he smacked him on the back. polaxed the senior leader on the floor. I'm there thinking, Okay, I've given my life for what? To serve this? Believer hitting believer. There may not be people physically smacking somebody in this place. If there is, I'd probably like to know about it if you could let me know. But there are people here today who've been thoroughly irresponsible with their tongue. It's uncontrolled. It's unguarded. And the thing is, you've never actually seen what you've done or taken ownership of it or repented of it. And guess what? It's left to others to dampen down the fire. Spend so much of our times dampening down fires that mature believers in Christ should know better. Brothers, this ought not to be, he says. Genuine faith produces good works and the first good work is with the tongue and it starts with us in the family. Where's our biblical sense of shock? Where is it? Maybe because we don't see how destructive and dangerous and serious it is. And that's why Jane spends so much time pouring on example and metaphor and illustration. Kind of building this up. Guys, do you know how powerful the tongue is? We've grown up in a culture where speaking from the heart is valued. And I'm okay for speaking from the heart. But there are times your heart is deceptful, deceitful. Yeah? Yeah? Because we may be saved, we may believe in Jesus Christ, but we've not been glorified yet. And there is sinful nature inside of us and so our heart is deceitful and actually sometimes it's better. You keep in your heart and you keep it there. We've been grown up in this culture that we've got to share from our heart. Where we have rights and empowerment to claim those rights wherever we can. We're surrounded by sarcasm and cynicism and anger. So it's okay then. It's okay to tolerate that. It's okay to praise and worship God and yet speak so negatively and destructively about people who are made in the image of God. It's okay to do that then. James saying, this ought not to be. James is trying to show you, shock you, but more than anything else, save you. Because if this is coming out of our mouths, then just maybe there's something not quite right in here. Where does the source of life come from? Are we not followers of Jesus? Are we not his? How can we live with such inconsistency, tolerate such behavior as the norm? Well, there's a problem, and the problem is the source. The source. The source of the problem is the heart. Look at verse 12 again in James chapter 3. My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring produce fresh water. You see, just when you would staggered back from the edge of the precipice from last week, James then marches you and dangles you over the edge again. And if you think that it's just James and his own, no, Jesus is standing there with him, dangling you over the edge. Because the implication is, a true disciple will try so hard to watch what they say, not get it right all the time, but will try so hard to watch what they say, and not tolerate an uncontrolled tongue for long. James is saying, however... Those who keep on doing it and keep on doing it and tolerate such an uncontrolled tongue is evidence that you are not a genuine follower of Jesus. And the prognosis is, if that stays the same, then you are in danger, he says, of your faith not being genuine. And if your faith is not genuine, he dangles you over the edge. James doesn't make this up on his own. He's drawing straight from Jesus' teaching. Grapes are not gathered from the thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus said, "For out." Of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. The reason why James labors so much on the tongue is because the tongue and the heart are connected. The tongue is an indicator of what is going on in here. The reason why your tongue is so powerful is because your tongue and your heart is linked. Therefore, in order to change your speech, James says you've got to have some heart surgery. The only person who can do that is God. Human beings cannot tame the tongue. The reason why is because human beings cannot change the heart. Only God can. So we move from the prognosis to the prescription for the uncontrolled tongue. Let's have a look at it. Verse 13. Got a few minutes left. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly and spiritual of the devil. For where you have have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace. Raise a harvest of righteousness. You see, James says, no horse has ever bridled itself. Isn't he? He uses the image, doesn't he? You know, you put a bit in the horse's mouth. Well, no horse has ever bridled itself. That's why the bitterness with my girlfriend, because she spent all the time bridling her horse. No horse ever bridled itself. It needs the master's touch. The same is true for us. There is a spirituality. That's available free from God. A wisdom of life. A grace that enables us to keep us walking and changing. Little by little from glory to glory. There is a wisdom of God. There is a spirituality available from him. Ask for wisdom, James says in chapter 1. And what does God do? God will give it. See, maturity isn't, not, isn't just about having Uh, Wrong thoughts or feelings. We have all those wrong thoughts and feelings. It's about not giving them room to grow. To develop. See, James identifies some of the more worldly, devilish values that can stir in us. That if it's aired, spoken out, acted upon, can cause this huge destructive fire. Bitter envy and selfish ambition, he says, are the two sources... Two greatest sources of negative, destructive behavior. Bitter envy, selfish ambition. Starts in here. But if in our hearts we can cultivate with God's grace the kind of spirituality that's from above, he says. That he longs for, our heart will overflow and out of that mouth will come words of life. Purpose, healing. Look at the words he says in verse 17. Humility. Peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, impartial, sincere. All available from God. All available from God's grace to come and to change our hearts, to work our hearts. And out of our hearts the mouth begins to speak. Little by little. But even here James strikes a balance. See, yes, God can change your hearts from within, but he won't control the tongue for you. He's not going to take over you like a robot. You see, he can give you faith, but you have to work out your faith. Don't you? He can give you love, but then you have to demonstrate love in actions, is is this partnership. He can change your heart. He can give all these things inside of you, but then you have to do something with it. You have to take control. You, your part. Look at verse 13 of James chapter 3 again. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Even here. Wisdom is defined, not some knowledge and some lofty kind of abstract experience. Wisdom is something that's lived out in earthly ways, practical ways on it. There is a spirituality, a way of life, a wisdom that comes from God that can affect our hearts and change our hearts so that actually we can begin to take more control of our tongue each day. But we will never fully control it. Not this side of eternity. Genuine faith, let's just, we'll pause here. Genuine faith generates good works, James says. And there's none more important than what comes out of your mouth. Because it can shape your destiny for good or bad. It's the master switch and you have to learn to control the master switch. The comfort is we all fail in this. Every single one of us. Even James, this model disciple. But James goes on there and says, but that doesn't mean we have to tolerate it. We can't tolerate that because it's too destructive. A small spark can set a forest on fire. We see evidence of that every day amongst God's family. James sees it amongst God's family. Once it gets out there it takes a whole heap of people to control it. So much time, so much energy which actually could be better spent to be frank. So James is saying look best control it at the source. The source is the heart. There is a wisdom. There is a spirituality. There is a grace that comes from God that is able to do something in our hearts. We're not in this alone. Yeah? And so we can draw on that. James says, be shocked. Be ashamed. And hopefully, you'll repent. Because if you repent, if you turn around, if you say sorry then God has got all this available for you to bring into your heart, to bring into your life. And you can live out of a renewed heart. And out of the living, out of the renewed heart, the abundance of your heart, the mouth will speak. And it'll speak life, and it'll speak hope, and it'll speak generosity, and it'll speak grace. And there's no better place to start, James says, than here in God's family. Because if we don't do it here... We won't do it anywhere. Let's pray. The worship team could come forward, please. It's challenging, it's hard hitting, it makes us deeply uncomfortable. But the tongue is too influential a part of our own lives and this body to leave it unaddressed. And so we pause and we think. It doesn't take much thinking to think of areas where our tongue has been uncontrolled. We know it. God knows it. And so we come and we say sorry in our own hearts and our own lives. And we ask, we draw down the wisdom of God. We draw down the spirituality that's available from Him. We draw down and rely on the grace of God. To say, change our hearts. Change our hearts. Little by little, day by day, from glory to glory. Change our hearts more and more. So that what is manifested out of our mouths is a reflection of the wisdom from above. Of peace, gentleness, humility, sacrifice. Do that more and more. And where we have lit a fire... Take responsibility for it. Dampen down the flames. If you're in the middle of a heated thing, situation, bite your tongue. Take a step back. Don't pour fuel on it. Father, we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen.